For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, on Take Human Action PA, episode 49. I'm Calvin. I'm your host. And we've got Autumn's back. How are you doing, Autumn? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to talk to Keith tonight. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you, too. I was going to say who the guest was in a minute, but uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> spoiled it a little bit for me. That's all right. I'm sure anyone who's read the episode description by now probably knows who it is. Uh, regardless, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, so, you know, we're episode 48 now. It's crazy. We're getting close to 50. Uh, so, so that's awesome. Um, it's been really fun to do it so far and I'm glad to have all the guests and co-hosts that have been helping out along the way and all of the listeners as well. So, so thank you all very much for helping make the show what it is. <laughs> any, any comment on that on no, I think it's great. I really like Calvin. Thank God you're holding the fort down, really, and bringing us from the from the caucus into co-host with you once in a while. It's especially nice. Um, I don't know if, well, since we already let the cat out of the bag, sorry. Uh, Keith is one of our guests this week that, you know, a lot of times when we have guests, we've got kind of people clamoring that want to, oh, I love that person. I want to be on and talk to them. Sometimes, sometimes not everybody who wants to be on gets to be on. But I do, I do want to definitely say that there were others who wanted to be that, but had scheduling conflicts. I lucked out. Yeah, that definitely applies in this case, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's all right. We will press forward with what we have. Um, so, and if anyone wants to drop questions in the chat, um, please do so. And, and actually, I'll bring on our guest. Hmm? I was just going to say, if you think, uh, if there's anybody out there listening who wants to be a co-host, start off by joining the caucus. That is a great way to do so. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, I'll bring on our guest in a, uh, now. He is managing editor at the Libertarian Institute, host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast, and editor of the Voluntarist Handbook, a collection of essays, excerpts, and quotes. Uh, so... Uh, on that note, uh, let's bring on Keith Knight. How are you doing, Keith? I am doing so well since you got the bio completely correct, 100% accuracy. It's amazing how often people screw that up. I appreciate you pimping the book just because this was like 10 years in the making. Uh, it, is all, it is 50 essays and uh, articles, sections of books that I came across that took me from being a progressive to being a libertarian. So it is, uh, I would always think of, well, if I mentioned 50 books and 50 speeches that people should watch, they're not going to do any of them. They're going to be drinking out of a fire hose. But instead, if I say, look, there's one book, I spent 10 years putting it together. Here is one book to introduce you to our ideas. It was the Voluntarist Handbook. You don't even have to pay for it. If you go to libertarianinstitute.org, you can download a free PDF. Yeah, I was looking at the contents and I was happy to see some uh, as entries that I had read before and that definitely left the mark on me and some that I had not. So I, I'll definitely be adding that to my list and looking forward to uh, reading through it. 
Awesome, man. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, so uh, on that note, uh, I'm sure you weren't uh, born the Keith Knight you are now. So tell us uh, how, how you got interested in these topics and how you got to your uh, current position that you're at at the Libertarian Institute and all the other things that you're doing. So originally I had been a Democrat because I thought that, well, there's people who want to give you stuff, the Democrats, healthcare, housing, retirement plans, education, very nice people. And then these Republicans who more or less are either dupes of the 1% or just terrible racist sexists who don't want anyone to have basically anything. Even if you work for it, they'll still gripe that, well, you, you didn't do it the right way no matter what. So uh, clearly, I was just a Democrat. I couldn't see any alternative. There's the good people and the bad people. It seemed like uh, what made government unique is it's the one organization in society which allows people to come together and cooperate, engage in discussions referred to as democratic deliberation, and this allows them to achieve consensus, whereas the private sector is this dog-eat-dog -dog sort of uh, everyone trying to always get one up on each other mentality. So I was a big government advocate for some time. Little uh, did I realize someone named Henry Hazlitt was out there who really tries to make the case in a book, Economics in One Lesson, that we are constantly cooperating in the private sector. So even if you're just alone on your computer watching videos, you probably didn't make the computer. You probably don't generate your electricity. You don't have your own internet supply. You're using a keyboard that was made by someone else. You're only alive because other people grew food that you exchanged money for. You're enjoying light, which someone else invented. You're constantly engaged in cooperation in the marketplace. So once I stopped looking at the marketplace as a uniquely dog-eat-dog -dog world, Whereas, I mean, of course, the politicians who are always competing for higher positions within the state, that's more dog-eat-dog -dog than anything we see in the voluntary sector. So it turns out that what makes government unique is not the fact that people come together. In fact, it is the great source of division uh, in many societies. And the private sector is actually an example of people coming together and achieving their aims voluntarily. The thing that really uh, got me to see this clearly was uh, Glenn Beck's show. I was watching and he was making sort of the cost-benefit analysis argument for the Affordable Care Act at the time and said, well, there's a lot of economic arguments, but these can be temporary and circumstances can change. What makes this law uniquely bad is that it forces someone to purchase health insurance, whether they want to or not. Even if you should purchase health insurance, it's a lot of things you should do. Eat vegetables, exercise, read, be a nice person. Should the state be in charge of forcing you to do it with the threat of jailing you if you don't comply? And I said, you know what, if that's part of the Affordable Care Act, then I am not going to support it anymore. Even though I was still a huge Obama supporter. It took me many, many years to realize that this is the same exact argument we can apply to state schools, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, food stamps, and the military. So really, I just stopped having double standards for the state, and I uh, became a libertarian slowly but surely. I remember being a Romney supporter because Obama had let me down, and so we all went to the Republican presidential debates in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the questions that they asked was, you get there, and of course, because it's free, free is another word for unavailable, because everyone who gets their way early takes up space, and so we ended up watching it outside on a uh, big screen. And one of the questions was, uh, describe yourself in one word, and Newt Gingrich hilariously says, cheerful, haha, -ha. and then everyone goes on. And Ron Paul said, consistent. And I said, well, isn't that interesting that a lot of people didn't seem to uh, take that as a point of pride in their philosophy? Looked into Ron Paul a little. He had recommended the book uh, The Law by Frederick Bastiat. And uh, then I just uh, stopped having double standards for the state. Took a long time, but uh, I got there. <laughs> wow. You definitely went all over the place uh, in terms of the political views in a short amount of time. But... Uh, yeah, it makes so much more sense once you realize, you know, the double standards are 
it's it's just crazy like when you think about it on a deeper level like you know i do i i support this idea for you know social issues and that idea for economics <laughs> you know it's just at a certain point i don't know I, I don't know why most people don't think of it that way i guess that's just how our brains are wired but i don't know i just have a hard time understanding it what do you think on them no, I find the, the best way to drive home most of the points of libertarian philosophy to somebody who's completely unfamiliar is to start to, to, to tell stories that draw parallels from, well, you think it's okay for the government to do this. Let's re redress the situation as if it was individuals. And yeah. um, a lot of times open eyes. Yeah. That is a good point. Um, you know, I would like to ask just a fun little question that we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But so, Keith, like going back before you were even old enough to start thinking about politics, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Because I'll bet it's not where you're at now. I wanted to be a quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, there you go. I had a blast playing football and I was always a quarterback. Really? Oh, very yeah. cool. Oh, that's, yeah, that's that's fun. <laughs> not a big surprise though that you were the thinker on the team so interesting to hear yeah very nice of you thanks yeah i bet uh and yeah speaking of uh hard work uh you went to what three of the take human action tour events yeah i was at uh new york chicago and nashville i thought uh, that the events uh were all great all uh the speakers were very engaging maj Torre, i thought was really impressive um he uh, basically all three times got up and started with the idea that like, look, we're not good at marketing. We need to get better at marketing. Let's just go around and uh, ask questions and have more or less a uh, conversation about things. And uh, he just did a uh, terrific job. Heard there were uh, some fireworks in Austin. I still got to watch that video with Maj. Oh, yeah. But, I... uh, but yeah, Maj was... Uh, terrific. It was nice seeing uh, Dave and Tom. Clint Russell was in Nashville and the hotels were real nice. All the people were uh, very polite, uh, really uh, no issues at the events. Definitely recommend them if, uh, if there's any more in the future. Can't recommend them highly enough. Yeah. Well, they did the pilot event last year, too. So I have a feeling there'll be more coming up. I hope so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh was does anyone else at as many events as you were? I think you were the only one who did three. I'm not sure. I'd have to look no. at the well, list. Well, either way, thank you very much for for coming out. I mean, I know, I know your talk definitely had an impact on us and the people in New York, and I'm sure at the other locations as well. So, so thanks for doing the work. Of course. Yeah, and one of the topics that certainly was uh, a bit of a standout, and I know you've talked about. You talked about this before in your podcast as well. I'll uh, have to throw in a link for that in the show description. But um, you referenced to the Pulse nightclub and how that there's a little more to it than initially meets the eye, or at least as far as you know what the politicians were using as their talking points. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about that and how you tied it in with your uh, talk that you gave? So the premise of my talk was the concept that, well, a lot of us are familiar with war is the health of the state, meaning that in a time of war, when there's an external enemy, governments are able to get away with violations of people's rights and liberties and taxes that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get away with. When people are feeling a little more secure, they're open to being skeptical, but a large external enemy allows the state to grow rapidly. What I attempted to do was take this idea, which uh, was actually originated by Stefan Molyneux, where he says it's actually the state is the health of war. And there's a number of uh, reasons behind this. Um, initially, the concept of having a uh, central bank, the ability for the state to have a monopoly on the money supply, means that they're more likely to fund things that people don't find value in. And the concept of taxation, where they're able to gather funds against people's will in order to fund things that people may or may not support. Most countries have a selective service, uh, e even if it's not enacted. In America, uh, all men ages 18 to 26 still have to register for uh, forced uh, military service. Um, so when you have people who, whether they want to or not, have to uh, go to war, well, then you're more likely to engage in something when people can't voluntarily opt out. 
You also have a system of compulsory education. No other organization has the right to force people to fund and attend their schools. This makes the average person much more sympathetic to the state and likely to believe their lies in uh, going into wars. And then uh, finally, the legal double standard, which is where governments have this capacity to commit murder under the guise of foreign policy. And no one even considers whether or not Biden, Trump or Obama or Bush should really be uh, taken away in handcuffs, whether it's Fox News or MSNBC. They never really address that issue. So because of those reasons, the state is the health of war and wars are much likely uh, to occur in a lot of situations than they would otherwise be if we'd had private security, which is why uh, hopefully we uh, will move to uh, sort of uh, privatize uh, the security realm. The reason this matters is because with regard to the war on terror, it's often seen that, well, America, when we're sort of isolationist and we pull ourselves back, bad things happen. So the problem is we don't have a big state protecting us and terrorism is uh, allowed to thrive. Uh, here is the reality of the situation. On June 12th, 2016, I have the uh, quote in front of me, Omar Mateen, went into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, murdered 49 people, injured 53, and held uh, the survivors hostage. And he called 911. And on this 911 call, we actually have a transcript of it. Here are a number of uh, excerpts from uh, the, the things he said. You have to tell America to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. They are killing a lot of innocent people. What am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? You need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. Tell the U.S. government stop the bombing. They are killing too many children. They are killing too many women, okay? I feel the pain of the people getting killed in Syria and Iraq. They need to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. The U.S. is collaborating with Russia, and they are killing innocent women and children, okay? The airstrikes need to stop and stop collaborating with Russia, okay? You see? Now you feel. Now you feel how it is. So after this obvious motive was blowback terrorism um, for uh, the, the actions of the government being in existence and committing atrocities in the first place. You can look at the Council on Foreign Relations. This happened in uh, June of 2016. The year 2016, the U.S. dropped 12,192 bombs on Syria and 12,095 bombs on Iraq. So he wasn't just uh, a paranoid guy. This was actually a case of blowback terrorism. So here is how Barack Obama actually sold the incident to the public. He said, this was an attack on the LGBT community. Americans were targeted because we're a country that has learned to welcome everyone, no matter who you are or who you love, and hatred towards people because of sexual orientation, regardless of where it comes from, is a betrayal of what's best in us completely gaslighting the public as to the reality of the uh, murderer's motives. So Donald Trump, certainly the anti-establishment guy who's against the deep state, totally different party, um, hates Obama. He's going to give us the truth. Here's what Trump said on June 13th. This is a very dark moment in American history. A radical Islamic terrorist targeted the nightclub not only because he wanted to kill Americans, but in order to execute gay and lesbian citizens because of their sexual orientation. It's a strike at the heart and soul of who we are as a nation. It's an assault on the ability of free people to live their lives, love who they want, and express their identity. It's important because this is a lie that has been going on for about 20 years uh, as uh, with regard to the uh, idea that um, the war on terrorism is about a bunch of people who hate us for our freedom. Originally, it was George Bush who really set this lie in motion. On September 20th of 2001, George Bush said in a State of the Union, I'm sorry, it wasn't a state of, it was an address to Congress. He said, Americans are asking, why do they hate us? They hate what they see in this chamber, a democratically elected government. Their leaders are self-appointed. They hate our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and assemble and disagree with each other. Here's what bin Laden actually said in a book titled Tactical Recommendations. Then the fighters realized that the gang in the White House could not see things clearly, and that idiot they obey was claiming we envied their lifestyle, when the truth 
which this pharaoh would like to hide, is that we are attacking them because of their injustice toward the Muslim world, and especially Palestine and Iraq, as well as their occupation of the land of the two sanctuaries. So the war on terror is the result of big government murdering civilians, and citizens have to bear the cost of the blowback. Remember, the social contract idea is that, look, you have to obey government, and yes, they get to tax you and no one else does, but in exchange, you get security. But if you don't pay, if you don't hold up your end of the social contract, you go to jail and they shoot you if you resist. If they don't hold up their end of the deal, if they don't keep you safe, well, they get more money and more power and never apologize and then get on stage and have the presidential candidates lie about the reality of the situation, about what really is a threat to people's freedoms. Very upset about uh, alleged Chinese spy balloons as the IRS takes 30% of our income and schools are uh, trying to uh, brainwash kids with uh, drag queen story hour. So uh, the, the enemy is within the gates as it always has been. Uh, the uh, great threat to our freedoms is not radical Islam or Russia or China. It is the IRS, the Federal Reserve, and the politicians who claim the right to rule us. The war on terror is a perfect example of this. Wow. I got a question. So, Keith, how long did it take, if you know, for the, the real story about the Pulse nightclub killing to come out for that uh, to be? Well, uh, probably like a uh, year or two once uh, the media really, uh, the independent media started wow. really circulating uh, the 911 phone call. I came across uh, this from Glenn Greenwald's research. Probably, gosh, it had to have been a few years after it happened because I heard about it and I just go, well, I'm not buying that it's an LGBT hate crime because every other one that I look into is fake. So I'm just going to ignore this one. It's like every time I get a DM on Twitter, hi, I'm new to Twitter. You're really attractive. Here's my WhatsApp. I really think we're going to be great together. Hot Asian woman, one follower, account created one day ago. Uh, you just know that that's a scam. So you just delete it and you don't even consider the fact that it's real. Same with all these uh, terrorist events and all these murders. If on the off chance there is one that happens to be accurate, it still is not worth the opportunity cost of looking into every single one. So uh, for me, it was Glenn Greenwald specifically. I don't remember how long after, but of course, people like Scott Horton were uh, were on this immediately, and uh, he did great work on it. And I remember I just saw the headline, and I go, "Oh, Pulse is based on a lie too." Good for Scott. Keep up the good work. Uh, but like years before him and I ever uh, spoke uh, in person. Yeah, it's crazy how it's all tied together and uh before you talked about it um i might have heard it like once in passing but i think that was the first time i really i really heard it broken down like that and it just it just makes so much more sense you know what credit to there was a local news report out of florida and they had like a five second interview with one of the victims and gosh i gotta find this and it was this you know cute little girl saying you know, it was really scary. He had said um, he was mad that America was bombing his country. Um, and then it cuts right to the other reporter. And whoever <laughs> put that in is an absolute hero because they did not have to do that. And it was it, it, it they clearly could have just gone on with the narrative. But I found one local uh, news reporter that uh, actually gave an excerpt of a uh, correct interpretation from uh, one of the uh, victims. But there's a reason we haven't heard about uh, the, those victims uh, too much. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that's a good transition point to uh, mistrust in the media in general. Now there's been some more activity on that front recently. Uh, I know Autumn, there was something you wanted to bring up along those lines. Yeah, so I heard uh, somebody, it was Dan Smots actually today, I listened to his most recent episode and um, the System is Down podcast. So I heard him say for the first time that someone with the Pentagon came out and made a comment that the country is a much safer place now with Tucker Carlson off the air. 
Okay, so whether you have a specific comment on that, we can go we can go for a little while on Tucker Carlson. But in general, the observation that I had was like, like I realize I'm doing these flip flops. I got I got inception in my per, in my mind in perception of the news, and here it is. They're saying, oh, we're better off without Tucker Carlson. And that's reverse psychology. They actually want us to listen to him. He's controlled opposition. You can't trust him. Like, so like how often do you find yourself falling down those rabbit holes of like, if you hear it, then it's definitely the opposite. Or, uh, yeah. It, you know, it, it's all about uh, credibility. That was Johnny Cochran's uh, great contribution to uh, my uh, intellectual reading where he said, look, it's all about credibility. So whether you're going to a person or an institution, all you really have, even if you have a document and you're reading the document, documents are written by people. They could be lying. They could be mistaken. They could be misled. They could have uh, a fundamental uh, vision of the world that allows them to see things differently than other people do. So it's all about uh, credibility when it comes to those things. So Tucker Carlson's credibility when it comes to um, humility, I think, is probably his greatest asset, where he is not only, you know, a little skeptical of Iraq and Syria. He explicitly says, I was totally wrong about Iraq. We'll do many segments on Syria. Even when it's not in the news, he'll bring it to the forefront. He'll do a number of things on Julian Assange. He'll uh, try and expose the reality of the Ukraine situation. Uh, so I think Tucker Carlson is as good as they get when it comes to the mainstream media. Of course, guys like Max Blumenthal, Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, Scott Horton. I think these people are uh, the best journalists. Matt Taibbi is a, uh, another great source uh, online for this. When it comes to his January 6th footage, it was so vitally important because it really put nails in the coffin on the two big um, events that uh, people would focus on. They'd say January 6th was an insurrection. Okay, that's vague. The two things they would say is, well, there was a police officer beat to death with a fire hydrant. And then they just stopped reporting on it after they had said that originally the guy's name is Brian Sicknick. He had died a few days after the event. I believe it was as a result of a stroke. But either way, the autopsy did not say blunt force trauma as a cause or result of fire not a uh, fire hydrant, fire extinguisher um, from the January Sixers. Okay, so that was the first one. The reason that Tucker's footage was so important is because he shows Sicknick walking around all throughout the day. So you don't actually see this fake attack that they claim happened. At least poor Jesse Smollett staged his attack and had people hit him. This guy Sicknick was not hit at all. Second thing was the QAnon shaman that, you know, this guy ran in, was, you know, calling the shots and maybe threatening people and trying to take over the White House. And it turns out he was actually being escorted by multiple police officers who were constantly up to nine officers at one point or another were in, uh, within arm's reach of him. And they could have arrested him. None of these people, you know, were brandishing weapons. There's one image of a guy with, you know, uh, zip ties. Uh, you can't call this an insurrection. So, um, yeah, Tucker did a great job at uh, really refuting the media narrative on uh, on January 6th that it was just a riot by people who were unhappy that, uh, you know, that they had put so much hope in Trump and Trump didn't give them anything they wanted. So they were just looking for someone, uh, s someone to blame. But that is the nature of the state. People constantly reaping benefits at the expense of everyone else, regardless of who uh, has the, uh, is sitting on the throne at the time. Look at how upset Trump is with everything that's going on now. You would think that Trump has never been in politics before. He looks at everything like it's in shambles. It's like, well, you were there for four years. You didn't drain the, the swamp at all. You gave us John Bolton. You didn't fire Fauci. You, uh, I mean, you, you went soft on the media compared to how you really could have gone. So. Um, yeah, uh, when it comes to Tucker, I think, uh, the media definitely lost, uh, the best person there is, but it's not like he's going away. Yeah. So, um, I'm looking forward to see what, uh, what, what Tucker does next. Yeah, same. I can't imagine he's not going to go independent, right? I think uh -huh. the one thing on the list that has me like skeptical about Tucker Carlson do you, do you have any information on his dad? I only did a little bit of research to double check what I had heard somebody say, um, Dick Carlson. So he, he was a
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply prominent figure in some state-sponsored media in his day, including things that were broadcast into Cuba. So really interesting, worth a little peek to uh, keep keep your mind flip-flopping on whether he's a good guy or a baddie. Yeah, and that's why it's important to not get uh, totally married to personalities. You have to be willing to throw people under the bus at some point, but Dear God, I don't want to be held responsible for anything my dad ever did, so uh, that for me is uh, not enough. To, uh, to to throw Tucker under the bus after you know all the uh, great contributions that well, he's given us, it could be his form of rebellion. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> could be. Oh yeah, that that's a whole that's a whole another train of thought. But um, you know, let's let's say that uh, at least for the near future, uh, Tucker departs from media, so we have like the media that we have now, but without Tucker. Is, is that just going to send any remaining trust and viewership of what's left of the corporate press in free fall? Like, what, what are your predictions? God, I certainly hope so. Um, the, just because, I mean, the only reason that I would ever watch Fox is to watch either Tucker's uh, Fox show or his Fox Nation show, where there's like a wooden background. He's had Curtis Yarvin on there, to my surprise. He's had Glenn Lowry um, and they get into like long one hour uh, conversations on those. But um, I, I can't imagine it uh, increases the credibility at all. People who are already skeptical are saying, well, that's just it. I'm done with Fox. I'm going to One America News, which is really a uh, terrific news outlet uh, comparatively. It's such a step up from uh, Newsmax and uh, Fox, let alone CNN and MSNBC. But um yeah, I certainly hope uh, Fox and uh, CNN and MSNBC tank because that they're just outrage mobs that are talking about one or two stories. I mean, Fox was on at uh, at the gym today, and it was just a reel of one tranny beating up someone. And I'm like, look, this is sickening and evil, but I, I feel like I'm getting harassed at some point. Like the term violent harassment I think we need to start having, just as sexual harassment would be unwanted sexual advances, unwanted violent advances where people are like, children were murdered today and these kids are dead and their parents are crying and there was another murder of children today. All these sick motherfuckers always trying to say the next thing to get people outraged. And the solution always is, oh, the mass murdering government needs more power to the surprise of no one. They control the goddamn schooling system and then they grow up to believe that this group should have total supremacy over everyone else so uh yeah i hope the media basically suffers and burns to the ground and only joe rogan and dave smith and matt taibbi are left standing <laughs> yeah well you, you kind of dig into my next question there um so I'll, I'll just see if you have anything else to add um other than uh libertarian institute and anti uh, antiwar.com uh where do you go to for your news um well, I will reiterate the Libertarian Institute. Uh, the, one of the great things is we try and bring up things that not only give you an economic perspective, a historical perspective, but we also try to stay on top of current events. So uh, even though 
current events come and go, we still have a news section where we try to lead by example and talk about things that are actually vitally important and refute the deep state narrative. Um, Antiwar.com, as you mentioned, is uh, vitally important. I run mostly the blog at the Libertarian Institute, and that is the result of me reading books and in, you know, a 150-page book like Economy, Society, and History that few people are willing to sit down and read. If I find one or two quotes, I will put those on the blog. So the, the opportunity cost that people are saving by going to libertarianinstitute.org, checking out the blog, checking out the podcasts, um, it, it will save you so much time as far as reading books, reading articles, and going into uh, you know in-depth research rabbit holes. A, another place that I like is the Council on Foreign Relations. They really are the steel man for the establishment. So if you want to hear, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, the CNN writers are idiots. But when I read CFR.org, I say, okay, here is, you know, guys like Richard Haas really making the best case they can for uh, funding Ukraine and provoking, uh, not necessarily provoking Russia at this point. Originally, it looked like uh, provoking Russia was the intention through NATO expansion. It looks much more now like the goal is to weaken Russia, much like they did in the late 1970s under Jimmy Carter. By pulling them into Afghanistan and attempting to bleed the Soviets dry, the goal here is to pull Russia into Ukraine, bleed them dry, ruin global credibility, and hopes of making any provocations with China have less power so China can't lean on Russia if China ever tries to enforce claims on uh, Taiwan or blockade Taiwan. So that's not exactly something you would get on NBC or anywhere else. So really, uh, the two places that uh, I look at are uh, libertarianinstitute.org and cfr.org. Other than that, when I, uh, I usually will follow people on Twitter who, uh, and usually once they've developed a good reputation of finding stories, then those are the people I'll click, click on. People uh, on the left, like Caitlin Johnstone and Michael Tracy, always have terrific things. Matt Taibbi's Twitter is really good. Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, all of those people I really like. Um, uh, I definitely think that there should be a uh, libertarian progressive alliance because the progressives could have virtually everything they claim they want so long as they don't force people to chip in through a concept of taxation. And they allow people to engage in voluntary, mutually beneficial contracts between consenting adults. So uh, again, it's it's so big, yet so small, of a gap between us and the conservatives and the uh, progressives. So mainly, uh, I would say uh, Twitter, Libertarian Institute, and CFR.org is uh, where I get uh, most of my information. Yeah, those are excellent suggestions. Uh, thank you, Keith. And uh, since you mentioned the uh, Progressive Libertarian Alliance, I can't not mention Rage Against the War Machine, uh, which is still ongoing. They had their big rally uh, in D.C. back in February, but more projects are upcoming. I'm not sure I can announce them yet, so I won't say what they are. But I will say go back to episode 38 of this show. We did a roundtable with you know, people from the Mises Caucus and people from the People's Party and the other groups that partnered with the Rage Against the War Machine to do a recap of the rally and talking about where we're going from here. So definitely go back and watch that episode. It was a it was a good one and it was a good event overall. So um, Autumn, any commentary on any of that? Um, I think I'm I'm curious what so what you just said about the the new perspective on what we might be pulling with Russia. That's news to me. I'm, and I totally get what you're saying and it makes perfect sense. Is there, is there anything else that's coming up in the, in the media that you're keeping an eye on that you're watching for, for shifts or pivots in, in, in narratives that are going on that you think we should, you know, I don't want to wait two more years to find out about, you know, I just, I mean, literally learned about pulse just this year. So <laughs> what am I maybe going to, going to miss if I'm not, keeping a close eye on things. So the main thing that um, is not really circulating anymore, but uh, the concept of inflation is finally accurately getting talked about. Credit to The Daily Wire for having Peter Schiff on uh, their podcast recently, where the media will constantly say 
Inflation is hitting stores and prices are going up. And the implication is that inflation is when prices go up. Notice that this doesn't differentiate between when there's an increase in the money supply and each dollar is worth less than it otherwise would have been, and when there's a change in supply and demand of goods or services. So the main thing is to know that inflation is the result of an increase in the money supply. Second thing is parents are getting more pissed off every day about uh, the schools that they are forced to fund with the threat of their houses being seized in places like Arizona. You know, pay your property taxes that go to the school. Well, they confiscate uh, your house and you're homeless. And then they say, well, can't believe there's a homeless problem. I guess we need to uh, have another uh, committee on this and raise taxes and increase uh, zoning regulations. So. Uh, when it comes to things like school choice, I think that is going to uh, just eventually be so beneficial that uh, they're either going to uh, fight it a lot less or their fights against it are going to be some uh, going to become so pathetic that people like Randy Weingartner, head of the American Federation Teachers Union, uh, she looks more ridiculous every day. We never advocated for closing down schools. We advocated common sense policies <laughs> as they explicitly advocated, you know, schools should be closed and everything should be done over Zoom. The good thing about schools closing and uh, things done over Zoom is many people, Joe Rogan included, finally saw the great amount of time that uh, the education system wastes and all of the busy work and the great opportunity cost in the lives of children where it's like, all right, you were just there, you know, six, seven hours, five days a week. You better have learned a ton of stuff because when I sit down, it, when you walk into an LPMC event and sit down for five minutes, if you don't have a notepad, you're going to miss all the stuff that, uh, that that you could have learned. But with this, it's like they don't face any competition. They face very little discipline. They assume, OK, I'm entitled to people's time. Now let's work around me. Whereas in the voluntary sector, it's the complete opposite. So we're going to expect to see costs of education rise and quality of education continue to fall and people hopefully looking more towards school choice. So those are the big ones. What is inflation? Why people want school choice and why are schools bad in the first place and provoking a third world war over uh, Taiwan? It's important just because the first world war was not necessarily empires going to war with each other. It actually started uh, with the Austro-Hungarian empire going to war over Serbia because they had the blank check from Kaiser Wilhelm of the German government that they would back Serbia, uh, that they would back Austria if Russia came in on behalf of Serbia. So today, when we say, oh yeah, we're going to back Ukraine, what that means is the politicians in Ukraine who are there as the result of an American-backed coup in 2014, essentially they determine American foreign policy. If they want to get tough on Russia, America's going to have to go to war with a nuclear power. And if we give a war guarantee to Taiwan, the people of Taiwan will suffer. In the Second World War, uh, idiots were always saying, well, never Neville Chamberlain's uh, a name you give someone when they quit and they appease. Mm. And then they tell us we always have to appease our government whenever they do something evil and you can never resist them, whatever. It was actually Neville Chamberlain on September 3rd, 1939, who declared war against Germany, not because Germany invaded Britain, but because they had given Poland a war guarantee only against Germany because the Soviets invaded two weeks later and the British never declared war on the Soviet Union. So by claiming we're going to protect the people of Serbia or we're going to protect the people of Belgium in the First World War, the people of Serbia and Belgium and Austria and Germany all suffered because governments were so kind to give out war guarantees. Not sure if you heard, but in the Second World War, the Poles actually not only suffered during the Second World War, they ended the war under... Uh, Soviet occupation of the entire country. Churchill actually said to Stalin at a meeting in Yalta, he said, we declared war for Polish independence. Millions of Poles have died. That didn't work out. Can we at least have free elections in Poland? And Stalin said, free elections like in British-occupied Egypt? And uh, the Poles did not see uh, free elections as a result of Britain kindly declaring war on their behalf. So the U.S. regime, the State Department is not doing anyone any favors when they say we're going to support the Ukrainians 
what they mean is they're going to pick a guy, call him the president, and say that he gets all this money. They very well could have just said, well, the president is uh, Viktor Yanukovych in 2014, and they wouldn't have uh, supported the Maidan revolutions that uh, took place in Ukraine. So um, th that's why it's so important. It's not that... Um, you know, uh, America is going to declare war on Russia immediately. It's going to happen in Ukraine is going to be the catalyst. It's not going to directly be America goes into Beijing. It's going to be Taiwan. And just as the Americans did not want the Soviets to have Soviet missiles 90 miles off their border in Cuba, the Chinese are not going to allow the uh, U.S. to have all this military buildup 80 miles off their shore in Taiwan. So uh, that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why it really is a <clears throat> homicide. So what, what, what is, um, God, I can't think of that expression. It's this murder-suicide pact that, uh -huh. uh, that, that they apparently have going on. Because if you remember, the first time NATO, the North American Treaty Organization, a military alliance, not just people trading and being on good terms with each other, a, uh, aggression against one state... All states then have to declare war. It's referred to as Article 5. The first time they ever did this was in 2001 after September 11th. They never did it against the Soviets. And that gave us a 20-year war against the Taliban where thousands of lives were lost, tens of thousands of people wounded, kids watching their parents get their limbs blown off, children being murdered, trillions of dollars, tons of property destruction, and economic uh, effects, sanctions afterwards, which starved civilians. And after all that, the Taliban took over in 11 days uh, against um, the uh, installed regime that uh, the U.S. tried to put up. So that's NATO's uh, record. First time they went for it, absolute catastrophe. And that's that's another good war that they're always bragging about. Well, Afghanistan was the good one. Iraq might have been a mistake. They were both terrible wars. In fact, there is an article... Uh, from The Guardian in October of 2001, and it's titled uh, Bush Rejects Taliban Offer. And this was the Taliban actually offering to hand over Osama bin Laden, not because the Taliban are a bunch of good guys, they're a bunch of non-aggression principle violators like every other regime, and they're much worse domestically than most. However, it wasn't in their interest to have the U.S. come in and start you know, making the country worse than it otherwise would have been for them. You want a nice, prosperous place to hopefully rule over now, to some point. And uh, Bush actually rejected this offer uh, that uh, they would hand Osama bin Laden over to any third country. So that basically means we're not giving him to Britain, we're not giving him to Israel, and we're not sending him to America. We'll send him to any third country, and that country will have him on a plane to Maryland probably in no time. They could have gotten all the information out of bin Laden. Bush actually mentions this in a book uh, he claims to have written titled Decision Points, where he says, uh, we knew that giving them the offer would show their defiance and allow the, word, the world to rally around our cause. So they never wanted uh, bin Laden in the first place. It was always beneficial to have the boogeyman out there to justify further uh, war expansion. Um, so yeah, uh, all, all of these wars, even the best ones, First World War, Second World War, the War on Terror, all absolute atrocities. And it's important because people will say, well, you support the free market. Don't you know about child labor? As if child labor only existed in free market societies. Of course, they uh, consisted in all of them. But these people who say, I'm for social justice and I support government, um, but not the wars that they commit. Well, the wars are a pretty big, massive thing. So it's the equivalent of saying... In 1923, I support the Ku Klux Klan. They should get more money and more power, but then they shouldn't be racist after that. It's literally like saying I want to give the government a ton of money and a ton of power, but I'm against the wars. To hold both of those positions is to lie in complete contradiction. And once people start feeling the guilt and uneasiness and insecurity about the atrocities of these regimes, maybe the average person, you're always going to get the Bolsheviks who and the national socialists who are never just going to concede an inch, but uh, maybe that is what it's going to take. If logic doesn't take it, maybe it's just wearing them down with guilt for all the atrocities of uh, this organization that uh, they so often proudly pledge their allegiance to and thank people for serving. 
Isn't it funny how it can all be cured with consistency? <laughs> so often. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that just occurred to me in what you were saying is uh, if memory serves when uh, Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany gave the blank check to Austria-Hungary uh, to take whatever action they deemed necessary about Serbia, he went off on a cruise and kind of forgot about it, didn't think anything would really come of it. And But if you think about it, <laughs> with Biden's self-awareness, he's basically like in a cruise in his head 24-7. <laughs> so it's like 10 times worse. Kaiser oh. Wilhelm on a cruise in 1914 is <laughs> still more aware of current events than Biden in the Situation Room. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Quite the analogy, Calvin. You can hold star tonight. <laughs> yeah, so that, that makes it even more scary. Uh, try, I'll try not to dwell on that too much, but I, I'm probably going to bring that up again. <laughs> All right. I do want to get to the last subject, though, before we run out of time. So uh bring, bringing it back to uh making politics decentralized which is what i titled the episode so uh we talked about a lot of important uh concepts uh in the show so far and uh you know we talked a little bit about this um when we were conversing at the uh convention or excuse me the uh, take human action tour event as well so how can we how can we take these concepts and you know, have our candidates talk about it while they're on the campaign trail or bring it to, you know, the local level in some sort of uh, policy form, if possible. Like, what what can we do here? You know, I actually had an example of this in the speech that uh, I gave. All right. So here's a roundabout way that I'll answer that. Um, this woman, Skylar Baker Jordanson, writes for The Independent, and she wrote an article titled, I went to a right-wing libertarian conference as a socialist. I was pleasantly surprised by what I found. And she says, We are libertarians because we love liberty and hate injustice, comedian Dave Smith said in remarks that opening night. The reason we are libertarians is because governments destroy innocent people's lives, and we hate that. Smith went on to speak against the Patriot Act and imperialist wars such as Iraq and Afghanistan, and in favor of civil liberties, the exact three issues which motivated me to get involved in left-leaning politics in the early 2000s. So I think the best way that we can uh, motivate local candidates is recognize that it's people like Dave Smith who really make libertarianism attractive to the masses. We could have, uh, we've had, you know, Frederick Bastiat's The Law since 1850, Lysander Spooner, Rejected the entire idea of cons of uh, constitutionalism, uh, monarchy, government in and of itself. Uh, in I think 1867, he wrote uh, "No Treason," uh, the Constitution of No Authority. So, if we have all these arguments until they become popular by people who see the uh, role that people like Dave Smith play in the pop culture, then local candidates can. Uh, popularly use those ideas to attract people who otherwise would have easily dismissed them. Larry Sharp made this point, actually, in the following morning after the New York event. He had said, well, people might say, you know, I got 2% of the vote. Who am I to say anything? Um, I'm obviously not governor of New York, even though I ran. So what uh, evidence do I have that my strategy or my advice should be taken seriously? And he says, well, what we can do is compare, uh, we can take the the uh, candidate who won, governor of New York, I can't remember who it was, and compare what they said on the campaign trail to what they said in their acceptance speech and see what changed as a causal result of there being a third-party candidate who was at least nudging them one way or another. And he pointed to a number of examples where the winning candidate actually used his platform in her acceptance speech. Not because she said, I'm slowly becoming a libertarian and these guys are right and they have great ideas. She just realized that, well, there is a lot of heat behind this. So I'm going to uh, I see this big parade. Um, I'm just going to step in front of it. At some point, it just becomes profitable once these ideas are popular enough for politicians to embrace them. And then and they're oh, they're never going to give us credit. So do not hold out for when are they going to admit they're wrong? Never. It's always going to be some roundabout way. So um, when it comes to 
that we basically need to build golden bridges for these people to retreat across. Hey, you're a progressive. You care about equality and justice. The most unequal thing you could have in a society is one group with the recognized right to initiate violence against peaceful people. And if you're a conservative, you're for civilization and against barbarism. There's nothing more barbaric than the concept that some people get to rule over others. And when they don't blindly obey these tyrants, well, we get to cage them and shoot them if they resist. That's extremely anti-family. And it basically stops people from engaging in things they consistently believe in. If I want to abide by a concept, thou shall not murder, because I'm part of the Catholic Church. Well, if I'm chipping into a mass murdering organization called government, it's going to be hard for me to consistently live the Catholic or Mormon or Protestant life that I'd like to. So by showing people that it's their own ideology that they can take consistently and they don't have to throw out everything else, they just have to change one tiny aspect of it, on top of making these ideas popular by taking lessons we've learned from people like Dave Smith, I think uh, local candidates can do a uh, great job going forward if they embrace those ideas. But then again, I've never won local candidacy, so maybe I'm full of shit and you should listen to someone else. <laughs> I think it's really important what you called out there. And, and this is something that uh, we've been having some conversations. I was working uh, door knocking with Ben Heckman a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that it, it can become tiring when you don't have big wins, right? But that's the nature of a decentralized process is that there's a lot of little wins, like what you described that Larry talked to us about that are really easy to miss. And we have to we have to work a little harder maybe at, at pointing them out for each other. Awesome. Yes. Thank you guys so much uh, for, uh, for, for all the uh, work you do uh, with LPMC. Great organization. I am not officially part of it. I'm just there on my free time, separate from my 501c3, the Libertarian Institute. Um, right. Not representing them, but that is uh, who I work for. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. Uh, don't forget to follow him on Twitter uh you know follow the libertarian institute and follow everything else that he's doing um check out his podcast but i'm kind of stealing it the thunder on your plugs a little bit um but yeah thanks again for everything that you do also and, and go ahead and give your plugs um if i could plug one thing i think it would be the volunteerist handbook if people want to check that out they can go to my uh odyssey youtube spotify accounts and check out excerpts from the volunteerist handbook or go to libertarianinstitute.org for a free PDF. That is probably the one thing that I think is so vitally important. 318 pages. Like I said, the PDF is free. And the book is summarized in the first two introduction pages and the last two afterward pages. So in one night, you can get the overall summary of what I'm getting at here to see if it's uh, worth your time. Yeah, I did include the exact link uh, through the Libertarian Institute website to get the book in the episode description. So that's an easy way to get it for anyone uh, listening here. Uh, so thank you again, Keith. Uh, any last words on him before we sign off? Nope. Let's get Keith to his next obligation. I know he's got one right now. All right. Thanks so thank much, you. guys. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye. All right, Autumn. Uh, that was a good episode. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Keith's always a riot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was still a little more rambly with my question, but I think it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Uh, yeah, so uh, next week, uh, it's looking like we're going to have uh, Mike Meharry on. So um, that's another person who uh made it the rounds at the take you in action tour he at least went to two of those events um so he's doing him. he's been doing the work on that too yeah i listened to the live stream of chicago, chicago i think it was where he was so oh he was I, there too I, well which it might not have been chicago but whichever one was the other that he was at i was live streaming yeah, i think it was austin yeah i got to i got to catch it he's great okay. I love him. Yeah, right on. So he'll be on uh, next week. I believe we scheduled that one for six o'clock. So not uh, Eastern time. So not nine o'clock. Uh, catch that one at uh, six o'clock. So that'll be coming next week. And then uh, we've got uh, BJ coming on for episode 50. Um, he's going to give us a recap of uh, primary day and talk about all of the candidates that we're going to have on. So excited for that also. 
Um, anything you want to mention before we sign off, Autumn? Oh, just the fact that I didn't even realize we were still on the show. I thought that once we said goodbye to Keith, we were off. So you were just oh, casual, no. <laughs> casual way that I talked to Calvin when I think we're just shooting the bull. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, I'll take us off now, but <laughs> not quite yet. So until next time, everyone, don't forget to take human action. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.